I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. There is an incredible facility right here in downtown Toronto that is helping on the front lines and is doing incredible innovative research. They are a facility that treats everybody with dignity and they need your help. May 6th to 12th is Mental Health Week. If this matters to you, Help CAMH. There's no better place for your resources. Go to camh.ca slash CanadaLand and donate now. Help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Remember Fairy Creek? Fairy Creek. South Vancouver Island, home to some of the last old-growth forests in the world. The lumber industry is there logging it. Protesters have been there trying to block it, using their bodies, since 2020. We've reported on these protests before, and on the arrests, and on the coverage of the incident, or the lack thereof. You see, despite the fact that nearly a thousand arrests have been made, and that makes this the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history, despite that historic significance, the RCMP have been blocking and frustrating reporters, making it very hard for cameras to get in and capture all of these instances of alleged police brutality. And that is sort of where we left things a few months ago when we last told you about this. Arrests were continuing, more and more violent police crackdowns, and no sense that the media would be allowed to witness them. We left this story wondering if we would ever get to see whatever it was that the cops were trying to hide. But as it turned out, that's not really the problem. There's been tons of documentation. I mean, if you want to, you can see footage of all of this. Pictures, videos shot from multiple angles, news reports. There have been court decisions that you can go read. It's all out there. And it's not like it's just the fringe or independent media covering this. You know, the CBC, Global News, lots of places have been covering Ferry Creek. It hasn't seemed to matter. The usual rules of engagement just do not seem to apply to this situation. The way it's supposed to work, news stories hold the authorities accountable, and that accountability leads to change, possibly policy change. 
And that is exactly what has not been happening. Our reporter, Sharice Charan, has been watching Ferry Creek all summer, talking to people on the ground. And today she's going to update you on what she's learned. Her story is about the arrests and the violence, but it is also about how this story is playing out so differently than, say, what happened in Wet'suwet'en. I mean, something has changed here. Something about the relationship between the cops, the courts, the public, and the media seems very different. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Ian McBride, Wes Wilsey, James Fedosov, Tom Johnson, Lori Artinian, Murray Beamish, Kevin Bauman, and Cassandra. Hi, I'm Cassandra, and I'm a public servant living in Ottawa, and I support Canada Land for their investigative journalism into Thunder Bay, um, their current piece, White Saviors, and their media critiques on Shortcut. What you're hearing is from a video clip taken at the blockade near Ferry Creek on August 21st. As it starts, you can see that there's a group of about 20 or 30 demonstrators jammed together in a tight huddle, a sort of blob of people. And it looks like they're surrounding something in the middle, maybe trying to protect it. They're in the middle of a road in the woods. The activists on the outside have their arms linked together, and a lot of them are wearing COVID face masks. There are a bunch of cop cars and at least a couple dozen officers on the scene. Some wearing blue, others are in green, military-style uniforms. Some of the cops are standing in the road, and some are getting right up close, leading and pushing on the group of activists. Then, one officer in blue reaches over and quickly pulls a mask off of the face of a woman. He then reaches toward a second, younger woman in a hoodie standing next to her, who tries to lean away, but the officer grabs a hold of her mask and rips it off too. A few seconds after that, several officers begin pulling out these red pepper spray canisters, which look similar to mini fire extinguishers, and just begin dousing the crowd. It's not a sudden thing. The police are working in tandem, shaking their canisters and methodically releasing arcs of pepper spray at the blob of demonstrators, working back and forth to cover everyone there as you might water a garden. The woman with the mask is no longer in view, but you do see several other maskless demonstrators sprayed directly in the face. I reached the woman who had her mask torn off. Her name is Sharon, and she was on the blockade with her daughter, Kelly. Both my mom and I were both wearing face masks for our COVID safety protection, as were most people in the blob. When the pepper spray came out, um, someone from an, over in the crowd came over and helped move my mask, so it was now covering my eyes as well. And pretty much right away, the, one of the officers near me just ripped it off my face. And then shortly after, someone from the crowd came and put another mask on me. And once again, the officer ripped the mask off. And this time also ripped my mom's mask off. 
I screamed at him, uh, asked him what the heck he was doing, and why you rip our masks off? Uh, they just kept pushing. Uh, and we kept saying, like, we're peaceful, we don't want to get hurt, stop hurting us, because they were pushing really hard, especially on my shoulders. They weren't listening to us, and they just kept shouting, stop, stop pushing, move back, stop pushing. Yeah, so we're just like, we're not pushing. A lot of serious allegations against the RCMP came out of this pepper spray incident. Joseph Saunders was there as an activist and a medic. There was a gentleman that had, who was complaining of a sore neck. And then upon examination, he had point tenderness on his C1, which is at the top of the skull. So where your skull connects down to your neck. I said that I think this gentleman has a spinal injury. The police medic did then come in once I had said that and, yeah, examined and also agreed that he needed to be um, taken out. Christy Greer was also there. She's a producer with an independent film studio. But when she realized RCMP were about to deploy pepper spray at close range, she says she felt compelled to break out of her role to help the demonstrators shield their faces. She says RCMP threw her into the bushes, and when she got up, she saw a particularly disturbing incident. I watched them pick up a girl by her hair and make her open her mouth and deploy the pepper spray into her mouth. I saw one officer spread the legs of a young woman and spray the pepper spray up her pants and into her genital area. I watched people be drug out and choked and beaten and stepped on and kicked and punched, have their bags cut off of them. They were forcefully violently assaulting people. And at that point, people are laying all over the road. Um, there are people screaming in agony. Um, one girl actually was having convulsions because of the pain. The stories that have been coming out of Fairy Creek and the videos that support many of them are really extreme. It's hard to watch people's limp bodies dragged by the cops to watch women screaming as police shoot pepper spray directly into their faces. It's just really, really difficult to imagine what could justify those actions. But as a reporter, I have to try to look at this from all perspectives and ask, is the use of force necessary? Are the police breaking up these blobs of demonstrators the way that they're supposed to? Or are they going too far? And if they are going too far, what can be done about it? This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We got a tour of their facilities in their downtown Toronto campus, and I was blown away by the heroic work that these people are doing. They are saving lives every day. I know people whose lives were saved, and they just really care about the dignity of the people who turn to them for help. Look, we talk a lot about these issues on Canada Land. We talk about the crisis that is claiming 20 lives every day in Canada to drug overdoses, but we don't give you a lot of options of what you can do about it. CAMH is an option. CAMH desperately needs resources that they directly put into their work, saving lives and turning people's lives around. Listen, May 6th to 12th is Mental Health Week. This is when they need your help the most. Go to camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Let's sit back a little. How did things get to this point? The Fairy Creek watershed is home to old-growth forests that have been coveted by the logging industry for generations. Most of the old growth on southern Vancouver Island was logged decades ago. These last patches at Fairy Creek are all that's left. And BC company Teal Jones has started to build roads and apply for permits to cut the last of these giant trees down. So in August 2020, a small group of activists started erecting blockades to stop road building. The blockades grew until Teal Jones asked the BC Supreme Court for an injunction against these protesters. That injunction, along with an enforcement order for police, was granted on April 1st, 2021. RCMP started arresting people in May. Activists have used a variety of tactics to try to slow them down. These include locking themselves to trees and other objects in the forest. But the RCMP responded with more force, tearing down their camps, cutting the activists out of their structures, and arresting them. And then the protesters would regroup, form new camps. On and on it went, for months. On one hand, you've got people who believe the forest wants to be protected at all costs. On the other, you've got police who say they're just doing their jobs. The number of arrests has now exceeded 900 more than that of the 1993 conflict over Clearquat Sound, commonly referred to as the War in the Woods. That makes the Ferry Creek blockades historic. This is the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history. But in these past few weeks, the situation seems to have reached a breaking point. There's been reports of escalating violence and misconduct by the police. Reporters and demonstrators have both told me about RCMP forcefully arresting people who are not fighting back, about night raids in which loud sounds and lights are used to keep people awake throughout the night, and about Indigenous people and people of color being specifically targeted for harassment and arrest.
But trying to report on this from afar, things can get fuzzy. A lot of information has come to me from demonstrators themselves. Remember, this has been going on for months. And though reporters have been on the scene here and there, it's the demonstrators and the police who are present every day. That's why the pepper spray video felt important. It's clear documentation of something that just looks wrong. But is it? I tried to ask the police directly. RCMP spokesperson Chris Manso has been handling media inquiries into Fairy Creek. I asked him if it's standard procedure to rip off someone's mask before pepper spraying them in the face. He didn't answer that question or any others, he said, because the RCMP are currently engaged in court hearings on the matter. But he did send me a statement saying that, quote, All of our actions since enforcement began on May 17, 2021 are well documented, including the use of body-worn cameras, end quote. That really didn't help me. So I called Wally Opal. Opal is a former B.C. Supreme Court judge, and he's led two inquiries into policing in British Columbia, including one related to police conduct around missing and murdered Indigenous women cases. And he yeah. rips the mask off of her face, and then eventually she gets pepper sprayed. Like, the officer ripped the, the COVID mask off a demonstrator? Yeah, m- multiple people. There's several videos of this happening with different people. I haven't mm-hmm. seen that, but obviously it's uh, it's the wrong thing to do for a officer to go and rip a, a mask off a uh, uh, member of the public. So, I mean, that's uh, that goes without saying. I don't think anybody would justify that type of conduct. So that was pretty clear, according to someone with experience evaluating the police. The incident I described should never have happened. So what happens now? In the aftermath, is there a way that victims like Sharon and Kelly can get justice and maybe prevent it from happening again? the RCMP recommend that anyone with issues about police behavior file a complaint. This is actually what demonstrators at Fairy Creek have been doing. So far, there have been 91 complaints filed to RCMP's watchdog body, the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission. But does this process work? I call someone who's somewhat of an expert on police complaints and is, in fact, taking RCMP to court over them. My name is Paul Champ. I am an employment, labor, and human rights lawyer in Ottawa, Canada, and I am representing the BC Civil Liberties Association in this federal court application against the RCMP commissioner. Champ says that when the CRCC reviews a complaint, they create a report and hand it over to the RCMP, who are supposed to review it, and then respond. The problem is, the RCMP can take as long as they want to do that. This was a systemic problem. And in fact, there were almost 200 reports, some uh, waiting uh, on the RCMP commissioner's desk for over four years and even five years. So we decided to sue the RCMP commissioner. We wanted the court to, first of all, order her to finish her review of our complaint, but also for the court to declare that this is totally unreasonable and was a violation of the act and also interferes with uh, charter rights, uh, and in particular the right to freedom of expression to speak about police misconduct. There was a similar case in 2013 in New Brunswick, where protests against a shale gas pipeline led to many complaints of police brutality. The complaint process on that one seems to have resulted in, well, just about nothing. Uh, The really sad thing is that There has been a a lengthy investigation by the Civilian Review Complaints Commission into the very same sorts of activities by the RCMP. Um, It uh, came out of um, New Brunswick. There were anti-shale gas protests there. 
uh, back in 2013. And the RCMP was engaged in a lot of these same, you know, protest suppression activities, you know, where they're, you know, setting up checkpoints, where they're uh, using force, where it's unnecessary, you know, spying on people, spraying them with pepper spray, when what we're talking about, for the most part, is completely lawful and peaceful protests. So the CRCC investigated, or the commission investigated, complaints arising out of New Brunswick and um, concluded that uh, many of the actions by the RCMP were in violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But when that report hit the desk of the RCMP commissioner, guess what? It sat there for over three years. So, you know, if they don't agree, uh, they're not necessarily, they're not going to be changing their behavior, which they certainly didn't in Wet'suwet'en. And uh, it certainly doesn't seem like they're changing their behavior in Ferry Creek. In that case, as you heard, the complaints were not ignored. They were investigated, and the investigation found that the police did violate protesters' rights. It's just that the resulting report had no teeth. It was left on a desk and ignored and seems to have had no impact on how the RCMP deals with protests today. Champ says compared to other provincial and municipal police forces, oversight on RCMP is extremely weak. Every police force in the country is subject to a public complaint process. So uh, the RCMP also has a public complaint process. Other provinces have their own, like, you know, for example, in Ontario, we have a police services act. In BC, there's a police services act. And those processes are usually far more effective. They go far more quickly. There's usually a bit more teeth with the uh, complaint body. But unfortunately, at the federal level with the RCMP, um, the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission doesn't necessarily have the same powers. And most importantly, um, there's this, what we say is this big gap in the law that allows an RCMP commissioner to sit on these reports and basically block their release for years at a time. When, you know, those reports may have embarrassing information about the RCMP. At the federal level, it, it's actually, you know, unfortunately a little bit toothless. Uh, you make a complaint to this uh, Civilian Review uh, Complaints Commission. They do an investigation and then they make a report with findings and recommendations. But the RCMP commissioner doesn't have to accept any of those findings or recommendations. And if the RCMP commissioner doesn't, then it just sits there. One of the differences between the RCMP and other police forces, says Champ, is that if you feel you're brutalized by a specific RCMP officer, there is no way you can complain about that specific individual. For example, the Ontario Police Services Act, if you make a complaint, it can actually go to a full disciplinary hearing against individual officers. Individual officers can be disciplined and even fired. There's no mechanism like that at the federal level. None at all. As a last resort, Champ says, the public can take an officer to court. But that can be extremely costly. I dug into the commissioner's annual reports and found that the number of complaints against the RCMP have been increasing, and so are the delays in dealing with them. In 2020, the public lodged 1,647 complaints against the Mounties, 22% more complaints than in 2019. It takes months, even years, for these complaints to be processed. And then there's the way in which complaints are processed. RCMP headquarters receives all complaints first, and they are responsible for the first phase of review. At that point, if they feel the complaint against them isn't under their mandate, they can dismiss it. Hundreds of these get dismissed every year, 
and the reasons why aren't readily available. If you don't agree with the RCMP's assessment of your complaint, you have the option of complaining about your complaint, which sends it to the RCMP's oversight body. But again, things here are different with the RCMP than with the civilian oversight bodies that act as a check on local police. The Mounties oversight body is made up of ex-military types and others, and ultimately, as Wally Opal tells me, this body has no real power to force the cops to do anything. The problem is that they're advisory in nature only. And I just think that's absolutely wrong for a police force in the 21st century still not being amenable to independent civilian authority to examine their conduct. That's a big, that's a big fault with American policing. They have no independent oversight. You know, if you don't have independent oversight, essentially you have a police state. And you can't do that in a democracy. The Americans are dealing with that in spades now, where there are very few, if any, independent civilian oversight bodies that have any teeth. And that's what the Canada needs to do. They have to bring the RCMP into the process, and they're not doing that. You know, legislators and parliamentarians over the years have really left the RCMP alone to their own devices. But the fact is, we live in a democracy and the police need to be independently accountable. When all else fails, there's one last way to hold police accountable in Canada. And that's through us, the press. Or at least, that's supposed to be the case. But as we reported earlier in the summer, RCMP have been blocking access to areas where arrests are being made in exclusion zones far past the sightline of reporters and photographers. The media has not sat idly by. The Canadian Association of Journalists took the Mounties to court along with a coalition of news outlets. And the CAJ won. In July, the judgment came down, underscoring the right of journalists to report in the area without police interference. This was an undisputed victory, a rare moment where Canadian law stood firmly on the side of journalism, definitively stating that the RCMP cannot restrict media access or attempt to determine who is a journalist. That's supposed to set a precedent. And that precedent is supposed to change how the police treat journalists going forward. But that precedent had already been set. If you may remember, journalist Justin Brake won a similar case two years ago, establishing that journalists in an injunction zone are not in violation if they're reporting on issues of the public interest. It just didn't matter. Even after that judgment, nothing changed. Meanwhile, the RCMP's own Complaints Commission also found that the Mounties don't have the authority to put reporters in exclusion zones. Again, Nothing changed. Exclusion zones are still happening in Ferry Creek. Here's an interaction between a cop and Ora Kogan, a freelance journalist reporting for Teen Vogue. In this situation, I'm on a okay. for Teen Vogue. You've been told You are to be silent while doing your job. Or you're gone. You are not to 
talk to us I'm not, I'm or engage with us, you are to be independent and quiet. This young lady also knows that, and she's been very good. Actually, no, you never said that to me before you're the first one with me. Walk! You will turn around and you will stop talking. You will film what's going on. That's fine. But you will not engage our members, or you're gone. Can you tell me your name, please? No. Do you understand me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Talk to you again. You're gone that way. You're off the hill. Back to that pepper spray video. There was this one moment where the RCMP were called out on it. It happened when RCMP spokesperson Chris Manso appeared on local CBC radio. Here he is with host Stephen Quinn, who asks about yet another instance documented in the video. Uh, there, there is uh, another video that shows the, the crowd being pepper sprayed. And in that video, and I watched this last night, in, in that video, uh, a young man breaks away from the crowd to run away to get away from the pepper spray. That young man is chased down by an officer. He's on his hands and knees on the ground, and the officer puts the pepper spray underneath his face and hits him from below. What is the operational value of that? Well, I haven't seen that video, so it's difficult for me to speak to it. I, I don't know what um, decision-making that, that officer made at the time. Um, I, 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 just, I just don't know. I just don't have, have the opportunity to see everything that happens there in real time or afterwards. There's, um, there's just so many videos that are online. However, what I can say is that all of the actions that are taken by the members there at Ferry Creek are well documented. We have body cams on our members, mm-hmm. and that's that's only for you know the protection of our members, for the protections of the protesters. And those videos can be used as part of the criminal process, or can be used as part of the complaint process. So, if anybody feels that they were wrong or they want to make a complaint, the, that information is there and available. And I suggest anyone who feels that they were wrong to please take that avenue. And as of Wednesday, the RCMP, we're told, has received 91 complaints to the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission for the RCMP because of actions at Ferry Creek. And those complaints include excessive use of force, lack of police identification, refusal of medical attention, inappropriate handling of protesters, improper arrest, and wearing the thin blue line emblem, um, which is against RCMP policy. What do you think about those complaints? Well... Because the complaint process is independent from the RCMP, um, it's best that I don't speak to that. I want to keep that independent investigation um, out, of the, out of the media as best I can because I don't want to taint that investigation. Also, we have been made aware that there are ongoing investigations, um, and that's all I can say to that. Um, and again, I'm you know, a big proponent of if you are upset with anything that's been handled by the RCMP up there, mm-hmm. please, please make a complaint. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? At Ferry Creek, protesters have been making sounds for months to stop trees from falling, and reporters have been making sounds to document the violence and the apparent abuses of police authority that have been occurring over and over again. I guess the question is, if all the systems we have to make sounds about police brutality, the official complaints process, the courts, the media, If all of them go off at once, does that sound actually do anything?
That is your Canada Land episode. If you like it, uh, spread the word about Canada Land. That would help. Email me. I'm at jesse at canadaland.com. I'll read everything that you sent. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadaland.com. Check our Twitter, actually, because uh, the Backbench is hosting a Twitter space get-together for the election results tonight, if you're listening to this on Monday, September 20th. And if you're catching this after that, the Backbench is going to have some fantastic post-election coverage. Listen to the Backbench. This episode was reported by Sharice Sucharan and produced by Jeremy Kessler. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Our theme music is by SoCalled. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, please support it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.